Well, it is a wonderful thing again to be gathering together, and I love the fact that we're back in a gospel as much as I love all the different parts of Scripture. There is something about studying the actual life and times and words of Jesus, our Lord, our Shepherd, our Rabbi, our Savior, that just, um, and especially connecting that with singing the theology and the power of that, that that just carries with it extra weight, at least for me. So I'm going to catch us up here in Luke chapter 1. Um, uh, Zechariah has been in the temple um, burning incense, um, which is a great honor that he got to do that. He is, his family line has been called up. The, the, they they kind of roll the dice and they pick his name and he is the one who's chosen to go in, and when he is, they get this powerful, he gets this powerful experience, and an angel shows up suddenly um, there while he is lighting the incense. That's where we're going to pick up in verse 12, catch up, read up, and I'll even tell you in advance, like, we're, we're, it's going to feel, it felt to me like I stopped too often during this section this morning um, to not let it build, and, uh, and so I'll try to avoid some of that in the future, but we'll get, we'll, we'll get this ground laid, and then dive into this next section. There's just, it's just so much. There's so much. Verse 12, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, the angel, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the power and spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this for I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years? As far as we got last week, we unpacked this, um, a lot of detail and, and, um, Hope you like that, because we're going to keep doing that. Verse 19 begins with this phrase. So he asks, how will I know this? Zechariah apparently is dubious. We talked about the heartbroken life that Zechariah may have had. He has good reason to be dubious. We've talked about how all of us experience that, that sense of, of like, how am I supposed to trust you now after all these years, and you're telling me this thing I've been asking for all my life is finally going to happen. Don't get an old man's hopes up. I don't know that I believe you. How do I, how do I continue to hope in this? But he does it in a way that basically calls out Gabriel. And he doesn't know it's Gabriel yet. This angel is potentially lying to him. And Gabriel does not take kindly to that. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. Now, of course, Zechariah would know who Gabriel was. Gabriel is the one who delivered the messages to Daniel 600 years before this happened. And so Zechariah would immediately know, okay, I, I may have crossed a line here. Um, maybe I shouldn't have said this. Um, El, his name means El, meaning God is my strength. This is what he says at verse 19. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Over the years, Gabriel has inspired many artists, um, sculptors. We've got a few pictures here I know we have of some of the great sculptures over the years um, of Gabriel, um, and then some of the older, the iconic, literally iconic um, pictures of Gabriel, and all the way up to more modern type of art that portrays him um, as a more terrifying kind of figure, someone who we might be intimidated by as well. 
But here's what you need to hear about this, and what, what Gabriel is saying here. Is this phrase, I, there's the model version of him, like the, <laughs> like man. All right, so, um, so th- these, this is a not merely, by the way, this language is very clear. The commentaries point this out. This is not merely, I am in God's presence. But listen to this. This is significant. It is, I stand in God's presence. What do you think is the list of creatures who get to stand in God's presence? In the presence of God, most created beings fall on their face before Him immediately, and Gabriel is of such authority that he has been invited by Almighty God to maintain his stance in front of Him. This is Gabriel, the first thing that goes on Gabriel's resume. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And now if Zechariah was wondering, should I have kept my mouth shut, he now knows for sure, probably should have kept my mouth shut at this point. This is, a, this is the power of the creature that you are in the presence of. And on top of that, Gabriel's saying, and this is the message, not my message, this is God's message for me. Literally, the language is, God sent me to evangelize you, to bring you the good news. The Messiah is coming. And what you're thinking about is, prove it. Verse 20, Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Gabriel seems to be God's immediate communicator for the biggest and most important messages. Luke is going to learn more about him and reveal more more about him to us. In this case, Zechariah wanted a sign, and boy, does he get one. Now, this is not super uncommon. We've seen this. Paul was struck blind when he has delivered the good news. Jacob is made lame when he wrestles with the Lord. And here we have Zechariah made mute. Verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, which is actually not accurate. That is not what happened. Maybe that explains why it says, and he kept making signs to them. And remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. He comes out. He's trying to explain to them why he can't speak, what took so long. They're going, oh, you saw a vision. You can imagine him going, what a vision. He can't say that. Not a vision. I interacted with Gabriel. How do you sign that, right? How do you do the charades for I saw Gabriel there? That was going to be tough. By the way, we're going to get a, what I consider a, a almost hilarious. I don't know if Luke meant it to be hilarious, but in the next chapter, we're going to get this hilarious reference where they sign to Zechariah. See, Zechariah's mute. He's not deaf. But they are going to, in the next chapter, you're going to see it. When they're trying to figure out what John's name is going to be, it's going to say the people kept signing to Zechariah. And like, I don't know if John, if Luke meant that as a, like this is supposed to be funny or not, but it is to me. So, so he spends up to five or six more days serving in the temple, and then he goes home. And soon after he goes home, Elizabeth conceives a child. After these days, it says in verse 24, Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Apparently, it was a common thing for many to see the lack of children apparently as a sign of God's judgment. Now, there's nowhere where that's defended biblically. That's not, that's not something that the Bible defends. Any consequence in our life can be the consequence of our sin. But there's no such one-to-one correlation. Because something is bad in our life or because we lack some blessing or because of whatever, that doesn't mean necessarily God is punishing us. In fact, Jesus 
clearly cancels out that way of thinking in the New Testament. You don't get to decide that. Sometimes bad things happen because it's a bad world. Sometimes towers fall down because towers fall down. Like this is a broken and fallen world. Don't don't assign that type of thing. Now, of course, it's not impossible. Maybe Elizabeth has something in her, ch- in her, in her youth that she did, that's some sin that, that God is giving this consequence, but there's nothing about the passage to indicate that or even imply that. She is feeling reproach from other people, not from God. Great warning to all of us. Um, and we don't know why she decides to hide it. Maybe it's a matter of you imagine if you're an older woman and you go, you can't go around telling people you're pregnant until there is some evidence of that. Um, for the first five months, you can't just go tell people they're going to think you're crazy. And then, so she waits five months. Maybe it even, maybe it's even cooler than that. Maybe she just wanted to surprise everybody. So she kind of stays in hiding. And then one day she shows up at the synagogue, five months pregnant, and boy, the talk of the town changes all of a sudden, right? I don't know exactly what's going on. We can't know, but regardless, uh, maybe because she's afraid of a miscarriage. Those of us who have experienced miscarriages learn very quickly. You don't announce your pregnancies right off the bat um, because then you get to go back to explain to everybody. Maybe there's fear in this. Maybe who, who knows what all is motivating this? We can't know. What we do know is verse 26, we fast forward six, those five months and one more. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Okay, so Gabriel is called back up for another message to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So I, this is part of why I believe this, this little verse here is part of why I think this passage, this book is written for people who would know a little bit about Israel, but not enough to know where Nazareth is. Not enough to know what, what Nazareth is. So Luke is explaining to the author, to Theophilus, whoever he represents, um, that there is this town in Galilee named Nazareth, and there was a virgin there, and she was betrothed. likely a a young Jewish woman. By our standards, it would probably be very young. We can't know that, Um, but someone maybe in their early teens who was apparently related to Elizabeth, so at least somehow also in the line of Aaron. Um, Also from the passage, this passage and others, we trust that she's from the line of David. Um, So probably her friends actually called her Miriam. That's most likely. It may have been Mara. Um, Both of those names mean bitter. It was a common name in Israel at this time under Roman rule. Um, it also was a common name uh, for, them to, for Hebrew women to use because it honored Miriam, one of the women of history who they honored the most, the, the sister of Moses. Um, but it, was very, it turns out when they dig up bone boxes and, and grave sites in Israel today that are 2,000 years old, Mary is a super, super common name. Apparently they were naming their children bitter because life under the Romans was bitter. Um, they also, there's a lot of Johannins or Johns and a lot of Yeshuas or Jesus, which means we're begging God uh, to give us grace or we are um, looking for salvation. God save us. Probably in this time we're meeting her. We meet her at a time between she's been betrothed. So Joseph's family and her family have gotten together and decided she and Joseph are going to be married to each other. And so they've been, they're engaged, but now Joseph has gone back to his family home, to his father's home, and is now preparing a place for Mary, his new bride. This is exactly what's being described in John 14, when Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may also be. That's the picture being created. Is, that, what, is this scene, is this picture that is Mary and Joseph are married? They're not married, they're betrothed in that They're going to be married, and Joseph is preparing a place, and when he's done, she will go join him. They'll have their wedding. That's when this is going on, which 
boy, does that fit with what we're talking about. Luke is considered Mary's gospel by many because obviously Luke had no firsthand experience of any of this, nor did hardly any of the other apostles, right? How would they? This is all about Mary's experience as a young woman. How would anyone else know what happened when Gabriel showed up to talk to Mary? But Mary. And so at least at the beginning, we know, in fact, a fun game to play that you can play when you're going through the book of Luke is to ask yourself, what question did Luke ask Mary that got this story told? So here we probably have Mary, and now she's an older woman meeting with Luke, this young man who had traveled around, this young doctor who had traveled around with Paul, and he's doing all this research. And, and that's a fun question. What did Luke ask? You can imagine Luke asking here, like, okay, when did you know? How did you know? Who was he? What was the, what, how did this whole process start? And that's how we get some of these stories. And we need to go back to our side quest, a very short little side quest we need to cover, which was we're trying to figure out when Jesus was born. And so we've got a little new, some, some new information here. So if you remember, Zechariah probably served in June or July or December or January. So every six months, his, the, Ab, the Abijah family would serve either in June, end of June, beginning of July, or December, January. Now, we know Jesus was conceived in Mary here about six months after Elizabeth conceived. So we see that happening. So in other words, Jesus was conceived while Zechariah was probably back at the temple. So six months later when they went back. So probably sometime in the December, January to the um, February, March. I mean, sorry, the December, January or the uh, June, July time period, right? So you got to add three more months to the six months. So we got to make about, about nine months. If he was full, fully carried to term, what this means is that Jesus must have been born Sometime in the February, March, early spring, or September, October, early fall. So when you do the math, we're left with that. I know that's a shock to those of you who until now thought it was December 25th. Um, we celebrated on December 25th. There's no one who tries to argue that it happened on December 25th. And if I may, just a side note, there's a whole bunch of people posting right now that, of course, Jesus, who was born on December 25th, which he was not, um, would be the same day that all these other gods from history, Horus and Osiris and Mithras and others, were also born on December 25th. Just so you'll know, that is also false. Um, here's a big shock to you. It turns out people make stuff up on the internet. I know this is going to come as a surprise to some of you. They just make stuff up. There is no good evidence for when any, almost any of them were, were allegedly born in history um, but you're going to see that. If you watch anything, you've got friends who are agnostics and atheists. They love this time of the year to post that Jesus was just a recapitulation of one of these other gods. If you want to go to my website, uh, which is chrismleg.com, I actually did the research on each of these different theories, and I was just sorely disappointed at how bad the scholarship was to make these cases. I actually thought it was fascinating. I was really interested. Turns out, nothing. Um, just boring. But so sorry to give it away. You still can go and look if you want to read about it. So the plot thickens. We've got somewhere between 47 BC and 1 AD, early spring or early fall, Jesus being born. Okay, good. We'll set that over here. Come back to when we get more information. Now, Gabriel speaking in verse 28. Gabriel says, he came to her and says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. All right, let's stop and unpack that for a minute. In the Roman Catholic Church, 
Mary is understood to be extra special. And depending which branch of the Roman Catholic Church, we'll have different opinions. Now, we can agree that Mary is special. She's a very special person. Let's talk about what that is. So part of the Roman Catholic teaching is that, is that Jesus opened the gates of heaven. The gates of heaven were closed. Jesus Christ opened those gates of heaven. You can find that in line 1026 of the Catholic Catechism. But our merit, they would teach, that our merit is what gets us through those gates. So Jesus opened the gates, that's his act of grace, but our merit, our righteousness is what gets us through those gates. That's what they would teach. You can find that in line 1036 of the Catechism. An offshoot of this, for those of you who grew up Baptist and so this stuff is confusing to you, an offshoot of this is that saints, for example, have an abundance of merit. They have more than they need to get through the gates of heaven, more than they would possibly need. So what people do is they pray to the saints sometimes to ask them to apply some of their extra merit to us or to what we're asking for. That's the basic idea. Now, of all human beings, second only to Christ is Mary for her, quote, treasury of merit. That line 10, 1477 says this, this treasury includes as well as the prayers and good works of the blessed Virgin Mary. They are truly, listen, immense, unfathomable, and even pristine in their value before God. So in other words, Mary's merit is without limit and it is perfect, according to the Catholic Catechism. Now, as Protestants, we would disagree with that. Though very special, as I'm going to unpack here in a minute, Mary was still merely human. She was just as infected by sin and flaws and failures as the rest of us. Now, there are some special things revealed to her here. One, she is troubled, not terrified by Gabriel. That's impressive. Everybody else who meets Gabriel is terrified. Zechariah, Daniel, others, everybody else is terrified. She is troubled, right? She is stirred up. They're phobos. They're falling on their face in fear. She's, you know, disturbed, a little stirred up by this. That's interesting. I don't know what that's about. Maybe it's a lack of understanding, but whatever it is, it's special. She's a young woman who is going to give up so much. And you start unpacking, and you even wonder, we're going to ask, like, does she even know what all she's given up? But in the end, what makes her special, I think the, the Greek helps us understand this. The word greetings here from Gabriel is not, is not a common word for greeting. It's used, but it's not the most common word. It, it's really just the word kare, um, C-H-A-I-R-E, when you transliterate it to English, kare. Now, kare comes from the root word, which we know that that is the word for um, grace. That's also the root word for joy, and it's also the root word for gifts, um, so, kare. Now, so greetings here means grace to you or rejoice. It's the same concept. Um, gifts to you, maybe a way of saying it. And then it says, O favored one. Well, here you have an interesting word, ke kare tomene. Again, you, heard that, you see that heard that word in the middle, didn't you? They heard the kare word again in the middle. So, there's literally. One of the ways to understand what the angel is saying here is, grace to you, O one given great grace. 
one to whom great grace has been given. Rejoice, you who have been given a great reason to be joyful. Gifts to you who have been given such a great gift. This shows us what is most special about her. What's most special about her is that she has found favor. Why her? Is there something about her that inspired God to choose her? I mean, maybe it's possible that God, there are certain traits that God likes to see in humans. Maybe she had some of those. But the truth is, no human being could ever earn this type of honor. No human could merit carrying the Son of God. That would not be possible to do that. It can only be a gift of grace. You have found favor. What is most special about Mary is that God chose her. That's what makes her so special. This isn't a Santa Claus naughty or nice moment. This is, I have chosen you. God, Gabriel showing up to say, hey, good news. God, of all the people that God could have chosen to continue the line of his promise, all the way back, <coughs> he's going to, in fact, let me just jump to it. Here's what he's going to say. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Yeshua, Jesus. Now, I'm going to get in a second. I'm going to unpack what all Gabriel is saying with this. But first, let me point this out. This is one, Jesus is one of five children who I'm, I believe God specifically names them. So there's a several more that <coughs> are named before their birth, but with some of them it's unclear whether it's a prophecy, like, and their name will just happen to be this, and you'll recognize them by that name, versus I think there's at least five that God says, no, no, I'm naming your child for you. I'm naming your child, and their name will be, and here's, the, here's those, Ishmael, which means God will hear. Isaac, the one who laughs. Solomon. Shalom is his name, which means peace. John, who we talked about last time. Johanna, grace from God or begged from God. Yeshua, Yah is salvation. God is salvation. Now think of how easy it would be to create a gospel presentation based on the names that God has given people. First, his own name, I am. I am, I hear, I rejoice. We, these aren't action verbs in English, but we're going to do it anyway. I am, I hear, I rejoice, I peace, I grace, I save. I, I want to take a moment and just say in a few minutes, in about 15 minutes, we're going to have a time of invitation. Now, a time of invitation, we don't do it just as a tradition. The assumption is that, that for some in the room, maybe you've been going to church your whole life, but you don't actually know Jesus. Maybe this is new to you, that this God character isn't just some big principle in the sky who, who gets you in trouble when you break rules or something. Like this is, this is a God who loves us and maybe hearing that the way God reveals himself through the names he assigns to five humans and himself, I am, I hear, I rejoice, I give you peace, I offer you grace, and I can save you. I'm the one who saves Maybe that's news to you, and when we get done here in a minute, you need to come up and, and talk to one of us about what it means to know this God who hears you. Verse 32, he continues, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and, any of his kingdom there will, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Again, we hear phrases like this, and we just kind of tune out, especially at this point in the sermon. You probably just missed most of that verse I just read. Like you just, 
weren't there for a minute. But this is a key. This is the key. This is the meat of Gabriel's message. He now goes backwards all the way through Hebrew Scripture and pulls into one paragraph all of the promises of the Messiah into one paragraph. The scepter of Judah, Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The throne of David, 2 Samuel 7.16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Jeremiah 33, 14-16, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. A son is going to be born. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, which we read earlier. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders. The name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth. And forevermore, the zeal, the passion, the fire of the Lord of hosts will do this. Gabriel wrapped all of that up. God sent Gabriel with that message, and he wrapped it up with just that one little paragraph. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom will know no end. Did Mary catch all of that? Did she hear this message? Gabriel's message is, this is it. The Messiah has come. He is coming through you. Gabriel once again is announcing the good news. This is the flashing lights. This is it. Like this is what you've been waiting for all along, Mary, and you're going to carry that child. And Mary says to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Now it makes me wonder, is this the first face palm that we get in the story of Jesus Christ? Is this when Gabriel goes, really? That's what... Mm. I just told you that the fulfillment of history is coming to the spear point right now in you. And you're curious about whether I understand human biology? Like, that's what you're... And maybe that's what she's saying. Like, wait, I don't know if you know this about me, uh, Gabriel, but I'm, I'm, I'm a virgin, and that's not how this happens among humans, at least. I don't know if you're... I don't know what she's exactly trying to accomplish here, I granted, it's a little dubious. We talked about it on the podcast. Like, you go, well, why didn't Mary get struck mute right now? Like, why was there not? It's like, uh, again, we're going to do the mute thing again. All right, so let's, let's do that. Like, what is Gabriel's response? One, we pointed out, God can judge motives and we can't. It is true she does not ask for a sign. She just asks a question. Is this a part? She's, she's not dubious. She's just curious. Like, well, that'll be a neat trick. How are you going to pull that off? I want, I want to know what's going on. Maybe it's that, maybe it's that simple. Um, God can judge motives, and he does here. So verse 35, there's no consequence. It doesn't seem like Mary is doubting Gabriel's message. She's curious to see how it's going to happen. And the angel says to her, so he gives her an answer, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Which is fascinating. Like, you can see he, he works his way back to the main point again. Okay, 
So God's going to overshadow you, and, and your son's going to be the son of God. Can we get back to that main point? The Son of God is coming, and He's coming through you. This is the main point of this whole message. Uh, people keep getting distracted by this. What does that look like? Well, interestingly, when we were discussing this on the podcast, Paul uh, pointed out, he found a passage um, that's actually in Luke, Luke 9, 34, at the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that Peter, James, and John, and Jesus are up on a mountain, and Peter, James, and John take a little nap, um, which they have a tendency to do at the very wrong moments, and they, so they fall asleep. And they wake up, Jesus and Elijah and Moses are having a little conversation about what Jesus is about to go through on the cross. And, they, and Peter, again, speaking before thinking, says, hey, we ought to do something cool for all three of you guys. And at that point, this happens. Verse 34, Luke chapter 9, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. It's the same word. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. So in other words, God is God in his presence, will communicate with the physical world, and will speak into existence this truth. Gabriel is going to come back and, and, and make it very clear that nothing is impossible to God. This is not a big deal. This is not like this is the big hurdle that God's going to somehow have to figure. He's never figured out how to jump over this hurdle before. Like, well, how could he do that? This is the God who spins stars into space. This is the God who knows the name of everything that's ever existed. This is the God who knows the count on the molecules, on the hairs on our heads. He's, this, is the, this is the God who literally spoke the first life into existence. How hard would it be for him to speak a new life into existence? This is not like this is some big challenge for him. But he's going to now offer the, the natural world conforms to his will. It's not even breaking the rules. He's the rule maker. And so he, it's not breaking them for him to do this. This is just who he is. She doesn't ask for a sign, but what's cool is Gabriel gives her one, and I think there's much more to this sign than just a sign. Verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, I, I just love this, and I, I love the consequences of this. I, I don't know why. I may be wrong. I know Again, I don't want to ever do anything offensive with Gabriel. He, after all, stands in the presence of God. At the same time, I really, when I see Gabriel deliver a message, he comes across as a guy to me. Very much so like, hey, here's the information. It's, not, it's like I do when it's like, hey, so-and-so had a baby. Like that's, that's my idea of giving information to my wife. Hey, so-and-so had a baby. And she's like, well, uh, when? And how, how much does the baby weigh? And how long is the baby? Do you have a name for that? I'm like, I don't know. Why would I know all that? Like, I don't... I have a message. So-and-so had a baby. I don't know what else to... And, and I get that feeling like Gabriel's giving this message. Here's the message. And he always, people always have to ask clarifying questions because he doesn't go like, oh, I might should have, I might should have clarified the whole virgin thing before I, uh, I did this. But so he does this. And now I love to imagine Gabriel giving this message. It's the most important message that's ever been given in humanity. And he gives this message. And then he gives Mary... The gift of knowing that she's not going to be going through this alone. That her aunt is also has a miraculous pregnancy. And what a great opportunity. But I think probably something that whether Gabriel knows it or not is at this point, he's probably lost Mary's attention. Right? Mary's going, oh, Elizabeth is pregnant? And then everything else that Gabriel's saying, she's kind of like, I need, I need to go talk to Elizabeth, I need to, I need to, and so that's what's going to happen. And I think the conversation ends quickly, partially because of this. 
Nothing is impossible. How exciting. We know, we know from every bit of research that's done with humans that the number one source, listen, the number one source of health and happiness in humans. There's an 80-year study that Harvard had been doing, and now it's become much, much bigger and involved a whole bunch of people and, and all this study that's been done. And everyone, when they ask to predict what's going to make you happy in life, what's going to give your life purpose, what's going to make you healthy, is they, they, they talk about money and achievement, money and achievement, money and achievement. And now they get to go back with some of these people who have been in a study for 80 years and ask them. By the way, two of the members of the study have won the Nobel Peace Prize. And yet when they ask them what has given your life purpose, they don't mention the Nobel Peace Prize. They mention the relationships in their life. The evidence is that what gives our life great, and this should be no surprise to us as Christians, it's a massive advantage we have over the world, that, that God calls us together to live in community, to live this way. It's no surprise when God saw that it was not good that man was alone, he didn't give Adam a bunch of money or achievements. He gave him a relationship, he gave him another human to relate to, and of course, Marriage is, again, marriage is, is the number one source um, of those relationships, and that's what they found over and over and over again when they run these studies. I love that God sets this up so that it's not some random stranger in one part of the world who has John and some random stranger in the other world who has Jesus. It is their family to one another. And so now they get to celebrate this together. They get to enjoy this together. They get to, to experience this. It's been six months, and you got to know Mary's like, oh, Elizabeth's been pregnant for six months? And she didn't tell me, like she's, this is, but they're going to have such a conversation when they get together. And I love, so Mary says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Verse 38, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This super quick submission is inspirational to all of us. It's, it should be. This is what God wants to do. I'm his servant. So that's what we're going to do. All right, this, this is what it works. The utter submission to God's decision and to God's mission is so beautiful. This is why we ought to be inspired by her. This is why we ought to admire her. Now, I don't know how much of the cost she counts here. I don't know. Does she count the cost? Oh, I'm going to be pregnant on my wedding day? Well, that should be fun. I don't get to name my own firstborn child? Okay. I'm going to be mocked and ridiculed and given a bad reputation for my entire life? I don't know if she puts on, uh, uh, there's a chance if Joseph decides, I could end up dead. Counting on God to do this. This is God's issue. He's going to call me to this. Let's do it. Or maybe she's just in a hurry to go see Elizabeth. Or, or maybe she doesn't count the, maybe she doesn't have time and it doesn't matter. She doesn't need to. She's reckless in the sense that she doesn't need to count. She doesn't need to, wreck means to, to measure. She doesn't need to measure it. She knows it's God. He'll take care of it. We don't know exactly what's going on. We do know she lived her life under some level of shame because people didn't believe her story. We could find that in several places. One of them is Matthew 13, 53, when Jesus goes home to Nazareth. When Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in the synagogue. And they were astonished and said, where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? In other words, did anyone buy back home in Nazareth? Did anybody buy Mary's whole angel conceived of the Holy Spirit story? Doesn't seem like it. Is this not the mother called Mary? Are these not his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are these not his sisters with us? Where did these men get all these things? 
Notice they don't say like, oh, wow, well, Mary always said he was the son of God. I guess she was right. He's always called a Nazareth, the son of the carpenter or the son of Joseph. I think that's because that's what they believe the story was true. Verse 39. So in those days, Mary arose and went with haste, see, to the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Look at the eagerness, the heartfelt love. They can't wait to be together. This week, um, our focus, our emphasis in Advent is on love. And so last time, we talked about hope and the significance of hope. Um, and, but recognizing, as I'll talk in a minute, there's a little, something different about our hope here. Our hope, we have a hope for the future, but that hope is, uh, it's a fulfilled hope. We have a hope for the future of the second Advent, but our hope for the first Advent that Jesus is coming, it's a fulfilled hope. It's happened. The hope that we have for the future is based in the idea that God loves us enough to come back and get us. And our theme now, this week, is love. These women are going to be our model. I define love as the desire to see God's best in the life of another, combined with the willingness to act in such a way to make it happen. You can feel the love pouring off the pages here. They exclaim with a loud voice. You can see them running to one another and celebrating being together. This is a different word than greeting, by the way. This is this word is, is I ask God favor for you. I pray for God's best for you. Blessed are you. This is the tradition of Hebrew women. I, cannot do the, I can't do the rundown for the sake of time. You can look up several places where we see this, where Hebrew women do this line, blessed be so-and-so, and blessed be so-and-so, in the songs they write, in the poetry they write, in the, in the Hebrew scripture. Hannah does it. Deborah does it. Those are two we've looked at. This, this message, blessed be you, blessed be you. What a great picture. It's a great greeting. Over a hundred of our women this week gathered together um, to bless each other with fun and friendship, fellowship, kind words, gifts given to one another on, on uh, uh, Thursday night. Um, every, a bunch of ladies were up here gathered together and enjoyed that well over 100. And if it wasn't the same night as the Shane and Shane concert, uh, we probably would have had, been overwhelmed by the number of people who were here. This is a great picture. We want this to be continued for the women to model this for us, for the rest of us to teach us these things. I'll explain early next month why I think some of this stuff is happening right now and how it's happening, but we want to follow this beautiful biblical example of the women greeting one another with a blessing. Verse 43, um, and this, is, this is Elizabeth still talking, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Take a moment and think of Elizabeth's double portion. I'm going to have a son in a few months. A son that just a few months before that, she had probably given up any hope of ever having a child. This son I'm going to have is the forerunner for the son of my family member, and this son is going to be the anointed one. And on top of that, her husband hasn't been able to speak for six months, so she's won every argument for six months. <laughs> It's a triple blessing. Just six months ago, this woman had no hope. And now she is overflowing with God's love. Their example helps us to see the truth. Advent about hope, as we talked about last week, and God's restor restoration and the belief that God loves us enough to restore us finally in the end. His love fulfills our hope through, 
His, uh, he fulfills our hope through his love. Um, his reckless, what Brennan Manning calls the reckless raging fury. Now, I, would, I, would, I totally agree with the statement. I think it's poetic and beautiful. I would change one word. The only thing more powerful than God being reckless, meaning, again, he didn't measure it, he just paid it, is the truth that God did measure it and still paid it. He was dead reckoning on what it would cost him to make us and what it would cost him to give us freedom and what it would cost him to redeem us. And looking ahead and seeing what it would cost, he paid it anyway because of the amount of love that he has for us. This is a great understanding that we can look to and say, thank you. We can praise God and as we can sing to him, we can study this and dig into it to understand it more and more. We all need God's grace. We need his gospel every day in our lives, no matter who we are, no matter how old, how old we are. So if you will, stand. And we're going we're gonna to have this time of invitation that I told you was coming. This, remem- this memory, if you don't know the God who is and the God who hears and the God who gives peace and grace and God, the God who, who seeks us out, if you don't know that God, I would love for you to get to meet him. Again, you may be going to church your whole life, but you've been introduced to a God who doesn't exist and you're, you want to meet the one who actually does, who reveals himself even through the way he names the children. The one who fulfills our hope forever. If you don't know him, I hope you'll come to know him. If you've been going to church your whole life, you still may need to get to know him for the first time. Um, and so I would love to encourage you with that. If, if that's the case, fantastic. That would be awesome. If you know him and you don't have a church home and you've been through our welcome home process and you say, I'm ready to come and join this dysfunctional family, you can come up here and let us know uh, that as well this morning. We'll celebrate you and what God has done. I want to wrap up our time with this. Um, what, what the next little section is, which is Mary being the, the quintessential teenage girl who's had a, a big moment in her life. So she writes a poem about it starting in verse 46. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The very words of God.